So, yeah. Should we get into this shit? Yeah. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season six, episode 12, Identity. Mm. Okay. Nail it all down. Once I saw the sister, I was like, I remember this. Okay. Yeah. These two fucking dorks drive up this alley entrance of a building. They're like, some models told us to meet him at this party. It's supposed to be fucking awesome. Models, dude. Yeah, the guy's like, maybe they gave us the wrong address. And he's like, no, dude, those models were super into us. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, man, we should go. It's like 2.30. And he's like, what are you, a little fucking baby with your Harry Potter glasses, you little baby? And then, bam, a body crashes through the windshield. It was crazy. I was, I kind of jumped because I wasn't expecting that. Oh, really? It's like, what What are you, baby? Like, go home to your mommy, little baby. (laughs) And they're both like, ah! These guys were, yeah, they were um, clueless. Yeah. The other guy seemed fine, four eyes, but the fucking other, the (laughs) friend was like, he was stupid. Anyways, obviously it's a crime scene now. Okay. So responders and SVU are there. A cop is giving Benny and Stabes the rundown about what happened. There are no windows on the side of the building that the guys were parked on. So the body may have fallen from the roof. Well, it did fall from the roof. Benson thinks maybe the victim got a sex worker who rolled him because dude fell through the car window with his pants down. No mention of dongs. There's like hardly any missing dongs in this episode this season do you remember any episode so (laughs) many missing dicks in every other episode i consider this half a missing dick Mm. is that a stretch it is trying to think of a stretch joke with a dick but it's i know i'm reaching for half a missing dick (laughs) all right so corner warner's on the scene she hands over evidence bags one contains two thousand dollars corner warner says 2k in all 50s not quite fat enough to cushion the fall (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if a sex worker was rolling a dude, they would not have left 2K behind. Right. And based on the blood spider, his heart was still pumping when he hit the windshield. The victim is 25-year-old Luis Vega. He lives two blocks away, and he has a lot of expensive accessories on. Diamond studs, a Rolex, rings, and a gold chain with a pendant that says SCA on it. Whenever this kind of situation comes up where they're like, oh, a lot of expensive accessories, my brain just just mm-hmm. takes a little break from whatever's happening. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Yeah. Mitch, Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You have a lot of cranial, cranial accessories. accessories. <laughs> Yeah. Corner Warner shows Benson Stabler the deep bite marks that were left on the victim's penis. Uh-oh. Theme song. That's what that's that's why I would say that's a half a I know. Dick. I would say we we got a bit of a we got a we got a, a bit of a dangler. <laughs> I don't know. It's been chomped, but it's not been All right, in the uh-huh. precinct, Toots mm-hmm. has info on Vega. We got a chomp dangler over here. <laughs> <laughs> we got a we got a we got a dingle dangle. Dingle dangling over here. We gotta go back up. It's just like this little winger that's like, please call my wife. Tell her I love her. <laughs> it's like a little mini ambulance. <laughs> um, oh my god, there's other little dicks. Oh that my come out. god. <laughs> what? <laughs> there's other little dicks that are driving the mini ambulance. They come out, they get like, out, he gets on a stretcher. <laughs> Toots calls Vega a bug that got scraped off the windshield. Chill. Anyways, he had a few theft and burglary charges in the system. Crane wants to know about the, quote, bling. He actually says bling, and I hated it. Toots says the letter SCA on the diamond pendant he had is initials of a gang. Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, Stone Cold Assassins. (laughs) 
<laughs> so maybe Vega wanted out of the gang and one of the gang girls fucked him over because, as Toot says, blood in, blood out, which is a great movie, by the way. Mm. Munch suddenly remembers that Luis Vega was a rapist in a case he had, but the victim, he did that thing we're yes. always afraid we're going to do. <laughs> Yeah, he did. He's like with yeah. the victim, Claudia Hernandez. Like I swear he used the th. I'm like <laughs> he he said it so authentically question mark, but then immediately was like, oh yeah, Claudia. But he was yeah. yeah. So she was an 18 year old girl. She recanted before he could get convicted. They need to see if Claudia was who was on the Isle of Arufa with Luis before he died. I only did it like once because I'm like, I'm not doing it. There's too much roof talk. And I'm not, I'm not going to just I did it. it. I did it too. Okay. As I was typing it, I'm like, I might even skip my thing because I know Gabe's going to do it too. Every time they say roof now because you brought it back, I, I'm like, you mean the island of Arufa? Over at Nettie's Fruit Market, Munch and Toots visit Claudia. She works there. They bring up the charges, but she tells our dudes, I fucking dropped those charges. And Toots says, yeah, well, somebody dropped Vega off the island of Arufa last night. Oh, I did it right <laughs> away. She's like, guys, I don't fuck with him or the gang that you didn't even bring up. So it's weird that I'm even saying that. <laughs> uh, so they're like. We got to talk more, sweetie. She literally brings up this gang. She's like, I don't know about any gang. And they're like, we didn't say anything about a gang. Come here and talk to us. Yeah. She's like, fuck, damn it. So they walk and talk. She tells him that she didn't make it through the initiation. So she was never even a part of the gang. And explains how she was being initiated. It was called Lady's Choice. And she decided to roll the dice. She literally rolled dice. Whatever number you roll is the number of gang members you have to have sex with. She rolled a fucking 11 Ugh. and she only made it through three. The way she said it, she's like, I only made it through three, which yeah. is like, God, that fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. Vega was lined up to be the fourth. So mm -hmm. he was pissed. He followed her home that night and raped her in her apartment stairwell. But she dropped the charges because she would rather drop the charges than be killed. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, man, sorry that happened to you. And she's like, newsflash, dude. I'm not the only Ruby that he raped at the time. I was like, that must be what they call the female gang members. Rubies. Mm -hmm. They do. Benny and Stabes go find a couple of rubies crushing some arcade pinball. And Stabler tells the girls he's sorry about the loss of Vega. And they immediately deny being in a gang. Benson points out that one has SCA on her terrible nail art. Okay. Based on the rest of her look would never be what she would wear. The blend of her lip liner was perfect. Okay, mm -hmm. she had an amazing lip liner that ombreed into the center of her lip. Those nails looked like a pep rally poster at a high school homecoming assembly. They were mm -hmm. awful. Yeah. I took a picture. I will be posting it. No. Anyway, look at your nails. SCA. She's like, ah, oh, geez, you got me. All right. We were part of a gang. Stabler says the men abuse them. And the girls say that, no, we're taken care of comparatively to their home life it's better, which is fucking sad. Mm -hmm. So one of these girls lets him know that she's 16. Luis was 25. And so the detectives ask if he raped her. Stabler appeals to her by saying, whoever killed Vega was defending herself. You guys need to protect yourselves too by helping us, right? Mm -hmm. This lets their guard down. They tell them that a sister from the gang didn't kill Vega. It was a girl who is deaf, mute, and experiencing homelessness. They call her, quote, crazy ass, but not ugly. Mm -hmm. and say everyone knew that Vega liked to mess with this girl. The roof he fell from was where the girl had been sleeping. Mm. So Stabler asks them where they can find her. 
Benny and Stabes head to St. Anne's homeless shelter to ask Sister Peg if she knows anything. She's like, sure, Jan, 70,000 people in the city are displaced. I totally know her. Eye roll. Mm-hmm. Benson describes the girl a little bit. They're like, she's young, hearing impaired. She's pretty. And Sister Peg, who we adore, before giving them an answer, questions their motives because I love how she protects people. Mm-hmm. That's her from number one. Stabler tells Peg why they're looking for her. And Peg immediately just grabs a bag and starts heading out the door and says, you're not going to find Katie without me. And I know ASL. So let's go. Of course you do, Sister Peg. Of course you do. Later, they find Katie. She's teamed up with another woman experiencing homelessness. Her name is Betty. Katie is 50 blocks from where she normally sleeps, so they kind of think she must know she's in danger. So they come up to her. Peg tells her that they're here to help, but Katie tries to run. Betty actually does run away. Katie can lip read, so they show her a pic of Louise and ask her about their history. Katie tells them that she didn't sleep on the roof. She slept at Grand Central Station last night. Stabler's like, um, who said anything about last night or a roof? What? How do you know about that shit? Turns out she showed up after and saw Vega dead on the car. Benson tells her that they need her help, and Stabler says that they need to bring her into the precinct to protect her because the gang is looking for her she nods her head yes and then fucking books she's like yeah totally psych and like fucking runs and sister peg's like just let her go i'll work on her and get her in there because there's no way she's gonna talk to them no fucking sister peg i love her so much okay so benson and stabler go off to find betty she tells them that katie reads her lips and katie writes her notes and that's how they communicate and betty says katie hasn't told her anything about vega they start to go through her shopping carts and she's like whoa no vega pays us 50 bucks for the stuff in the cart remember how they had found two thousand dollars of fifty dollar bills on vega when he died yeah. It was for this shit. He was like buying this stuff. Benson and Stabler pull their money together and give her like 62 bucks yeah. in exchange for the bags in the shopping cart. They are full of old mail bills and info that could be totally used for identity theft. Betty tells him that Vega pays a lot of people on the street to do that. Benson asks Betty if she knows where Vega takes the mail. Cut to FBI and fucking SVU raiding a building. One of the girls from the arcade is there. There's computers and binders everywhere. There's a credit card machine and a lot of personal identifier info on the computers. They have a whole identity stealing operation going on. Some dude being arrested is fucking pissed and he's like, I'll get six months tops. But the fucking FB fucking I is there. And this is all fucking federal now, baby. Mail fraud, ongoing conspiracy, they're totally fucked. Federal. Federal. Stabler tells the arcade girl she can get off the hook if she tells them anything that can get the dogs called off Katie. And of course she ain't saying shit. Haven't you seen her nails? Hello. She's in. At the precinct, Benny, Stabes, and Craig do a little walk and talk. Craigan's like, why the fuck didn't any of the victims notice their shit was stolen? Turns out they didn't know about it because the gang would file a change of address and then send the credit card statements and bills and stuff to a random address. They would only find out that their credit was in the shitter when they were applying for like a home loan or something else, which would never happen now. But right. No, people would get like immediately notified. They walk into the squad room and Sister Peg is in there. She's fucking crying, which breaks my heart. She's so upset because she had told Katie she'd be safe at her shelter. Sister Peg left the room for just a fucking second and some guy ran into the shelter and slit Katie's throat. Anyway, she's sad and I don't like Sister Peg being sad. She really killed the scene though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believed her. I wanted to hold her. Yeah. Benny and Stabes go down to see Corner Warner. Katie's throat was cut from ear to ear, which they assume was probably a message. Cutting vocal cords equals no talking kind of Mm -hmm. message. Corner Warner says, well, that was pointless because 
Katie's teeth don't match the bite marks found on Vega. She didn't push him off the roof. Mm-hmm. Warner's still waiting for DNA results from the saliva she found on the bite marks. But there is something that she found based on her initial testing. Okay. She could look at some... The chromosomes and stuff. The d- Yeah. The dick biter had XY chromosomes. They say it was a man, but... We all know. I mean, yeah. I, even, even then, like, I didn't know what the episode was about yet. And she was like, a dude did it. And I was like, well, they say it was a man, but you know how they are back then about trans Mm -hmm. people and shit. So I'm going to hold off till we know more. Right. So chromosomes were XY. So they're like, it was a dude. Peg, bad bitch, walks the street with Benny and Stabes to find the guy that killed Katie. She's on a fucking mission. Mm-hmm. So they walk by this group of people hanging out. And she's like, there's that fucking she and Orlando Bloom looking motherfucker. <laughs> Hector Ramirez. Didn't he kind of look like Orlando Bloom a little bit? Anyway. I, I can't remember at all. He did. Uh, Benson. <laughs> so Benson goes up to him. He runs. Stabler fucking grunt catches him, slams him up against a chain link fence and places him under arrest for Katie's murder. Then Benny finds the knife on him. Stabler tells him he killed the wrong person. That wasn't Katie on the roof. Vega was doing a guy that night. Okay. And then he smiled in a way that I don't like. Just then, I took a picture of that too. Just then, (laughs) Sister Peg runs up and tells them to check for a dragon tattoo on his left wrist. Whoop, there it is. Plain. No. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There it is. Plain is black Sharpie with old English SCA Sharpied around it. Took a picture of that too. It even had like the Sharpie bleed. (laughs) It was so bad. So fucking bad. As they take him away, Benny's talking shit. She's like, You think you're a tough guy? Guy, huh? Tough guy killing a deaf girl while she's asleep. And this fucking guy, he's like, she wasn't asleep. She was scared and begging. Zero hesitation. Fucking clonk. In response to that guy saying that shit, Stabler's slick move runs dude's face into a pole like a goddamn three stooge. And he's like, a wah. <laughs> yeah. The the front of his shirt rolls up into his face. <laughs> his tie spins and they're clonk. So after after Stabler fucking clonk the dude's face in, Benz is like, dude, careful with his teeth, man, because uh, we got to match those bite marks on Vega. Keep that shit in his face, you know? And Stabler's like, oh, was he your boyfriend? Okay. If we knew that Stabler wasn't so transphobic and like not on the right side of history at this point, I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's just pushing his homophobic buttons. But that's not what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's like, gross. Were you gay? Sister Peg jumps in and calls Hector a fucking liar. She's like, she wasn't begging. Katie couldn't speak, dude. And Hector says, well, Katie was mouthing wasn't me. And she kept making a hand signal. So they uncuff him so he can show them the signal. And Peg knows it. It's the sign for graffiti. Mm-hmm. Staves and Toots go find... I guess where the graffiti in New York is. It's on the island of Arufa. There it is. <laughs> There's the graffiti. <laughs> That's where they do it. That's where they do it. All the graffiti. <laughs> Toot says that Katie didn't get there after the attack. She was there during. She was trying to tell Hector who else was on the roof. Somebody was there spray painting. They find some fresh tags and Toots takes pictures. Sorry. <laughs> They find some fresh art, some new art, stuff that's not faded, clearly just done. So Toot starts taking pictures of it. There's a signature on it, S-Y-K. So they speculate on what happened. A rival gang member was up there tagging Vega's turf. So Vega tried to make the other guy his bitch. Dude was like, no. (laughs) No, chomp. (laughs) 
no chomp, clonk, car. Those models. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> so, this, so this person who Vega's like, no, you're my bitch now. Put my dick in your mouth. And he was like, no. And bit Vega's dick and shoved him off the roof. This is their theory right now. Mm-hmm. They need to identify that tag. Okay. So the art was that big S that we all drew on our <laughs> notebooks when we were in school. Um, but it said B22B. Mm-hmm. That's got to mean something. And then the signature on the tag was SYK. Hold your horses because mm-hmm. we'll all get there. So now Benny and Staves are with anti-graffiti task force guy. The B22B tag is for born to be bad. <laughs> it's not like a gang. It's a writing crew of like rich private school kids from the Upper East Side. Really? You mean hardcore gang dudes didn't come up with born to be bad? <laughs> S-Y-K equals sick, but in this case, it's for S-Y-K-O, psycho, and they already have this kid categorized. They know who he is. It's a kid named Logan Stanton. Hmm. So now we're at the Hanover Day School. Welcome to the Hanover Day School, where tuition is more than you make in a year. (laughs) Munch and Toots are doing a little walk and talk with Logan. Home of the born-to-be-bad trust fund, boys. (laughs) Boys. He said the whole graffiti thing was just a phase and he's over it. Toots asks him why he went with the tag name Psycho. Logan says that his therapist said it was a desperate cry for attention and he got over it because he did 100 hours of community service and he's like, that kind of did the trick. They get to his locker. Some bearded dude is going through it and finds spray paint. Ooh. Toots tells Logan he has to tell them what happened on that roof. On that sandy, beautiful, tropical, blue skies, bluer water, pomegranates, coconut cocktails, island of Arufa. So now we're at the precinct and Logan is being questioned by Benny and Staves and he is fucking pissed. Logan says, I don't know how to dumb this down anymore for you guys. It wasn't me. He says someone ripped off his tag and Sailor's like, sure, Jan, someone climbed all the way up there to hand you the credit. Which is actually, Why would they do that? Exactly. Which is kind of true. Yeah, it is. Logan says, people just like screwing with me. Story of my life. Oh. Mom. <laughs> I mean, I do end up feeling like compassion for him. At this I do. moment, though, we're like, oh, you little fucking fuck. Yeah. Benny and Stapes keep pushing him to tell them what happened up there, but he just keeps getting more and more mad and keeps saying it wasn't him. He was home in his bed. And Stabler says, so we should talk to your parents. And he's like, Pfft. How would they know where I was? They don't give a crap about me. He gets up and runs to the double-sided glass, whatever, and starts banging on it and asking for help to get him out of there. On the other side of the glass in Kragen's greenhouse, he's tending to his prize-winning orchids and is wearing a cute little apron and a straw hat with a big bow on it that is secured under his chin. He wipes his <laughs> brow and gets a cute little amount of dirt on his forehead. He longingly looks out the window and smiles a little, excited for the orchid competition. He hopes he wins. <laughs> Have we done a greenhouse one before? Yeah, you, yeah. Fuck, did I, did I do orchids? Prize winning something was described. Oh my god. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe he's just back in there. Orchids take a lot of care. So. They do. And it's not a hobby you can just get into once. Yeah. Anyways, Dr. Hendricks is there on the other side of the glass. Cragen asks her what she thinks. She thinks Logan is paranoid and unstable. Why is he in there without a parent? And Cragen goes, he's like, they're 
they're on their way. She used to be a cop. She's not stupid and calls Kragen out for trying to get a confession out of an emotionally disturbed minor without an advocate in his corner. Which is gross. Yeah. Toots comes in. The parents are there. Kragen wants to talk to them in his office first to see what they say about Logan's whereabouts before they go into the interview room. And Hendrix is like, get him in the room with their fucking kid. Yeah. He's like, yeah, t- totally. I just want to, I'm just going to like chat him up for a minute. And she's like, oh my God, I know all these fucking tricks you're doing. Right. In Craigan's office, the Stantons are there with Logan's twin sister, Lindsay. She looks exactly like Logan. It's because it's the same actor in a wig. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're played by the same kid. And, like a wig and some lip gloss. <laughs> Yeah. She says that Logan was home. She saw him when she went to turn his TV off in the middle of the night because it's always blaring. She remembers that it was exactly at 2.34. She was like, 2.34, all right in a row. She turned it off and he threw a book at her and called her a butt face. And the music is all swelly. This is where I was like, I fucking remember this episode, kind of. Mr. Stanton says it's okay to get a DNA swab from Logan and tells Cragen that their lawyer doesn't want Logan to talk to them anymore. Later in the precinct, Hendricks walks in asking about Logan's DNA sample that came back. Stabes tells her Logan's DNA is a match to the saliva from Vega's bite marks. This puts him on the roof that night. Hendricks sighs and just goes, oh. Well, what do we do now? Benny's clearly still bitter because she grabs her jacket and goes, well, we thought it would be more humane to pick him up at his home instead of school. Mm. As in me and Stabler and not you, we're best friends. You're not part of it. (laughs) So Hendrix fucking just follows them to the elevator. She points out the trauma that has been caused by Logan killing Vega after being assaulted, right? Yeah, she's just like, be careful. I mean, this is a kid and yeah. Right. And this kid has been through, clearly has been through something traumatic. Mm -hmm. She gives them the facts, right? The number of boys that don't report rape is staggeringly Mm -hmm. high. And if he's gay, he may believe that he somehow brought the attack on himself. Mm -hmm. Not true. Mm -hmm. This is all shit you have to consider and be mindful of for the mental health of this kid. So she asks if she can come with them. I mean, she kind of asks. She says it as she shoves her way onto the elevator. (laughs) And they're both like, let's go i don't know sitcom transition music except for seinfeld and that's not no i don't know but i don't know (laughs) at the stanton residence the detectives tell the stantons about having to arrest their son and what happened and dad's immediately yelling for logan like the dad you're in trouble yell he's like logan get down here benson also tacks on that logan's twin Lindsay lied for him too so fucking both those kids are in trouble mm-hmm. logan comes down from his room and his dad tells him he's got to tell the detectives the truth they're here to help you you sure about that <laughs> logan's confused and super adamant that he didn't do mm-hmm. it mom's not helping at all by being mad and accusatory you can tell she's already just like oh this is embarrassing this is terrible what are people well, they, say? they think that he li- he lied to them it's like, you swore in your mother's yeah. grave that you were telling the truth. They have DNA. Just then, Lindsay comes up the stairs, and they use technology that they borrowed from NASA to put Lindsay and Logan on the screen together, even though they're Lindsay Lohan parent-trapping us. I thought they were just going to cut back and forth yeah. from Logan talking to Lindsay talking, but then they're both on screen. Yeah. And they kind of fucked it up a little bit because she kept like looking over at him. It was like clearly past him, behind him. But I mean, they were really going for it. You know, those twins, mm-hmm. they could not get 
actor twins that were identical. Right. That wig sucked, by the way. It was a really bad wig. <laughs> it was really bad. But yeah, so they're identical twins, right? The music swells. They tell Logan he has to go with them. And Hendrix is like, hi, I'm here too. You can talk to me. I'm a psychiatrist. And that sent Logan into a full fucking spin out. He starts smashing shit, screaming, I told you no more shrinks. And Stabler uses his really good police training and grabs him to stop him and says, relax, and restrains the kid. And he was like, oh my God, immediately. Thank you. Thanks for saying that, Stabler. I'm calm now. Thank yes. you. Oh my God. Yeah, I was, I I was really freaking out. You screaming and spittling in my face a little bit showed me that I needed to chill. Okay, so this triggers Lindsay to take a candlestick the size of a baseball bat to fucking Stabler. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, that is the biggest rich person indicator. Like how big are the candlesticks in your house and how quickly can you get to one at any given moment? Right? right? It was a giant candlestick. It, it was, was a huge. cartoon candlestick. It was huge. It was yeah. ornate. It was gorgeous. And it was right there when she needed it. They're probably all over the house. It was like a railing. It was huge. Yeah. She actually ripped out the railing from the stairs. <laughs> yeah. She fucking smokes Stabler with it. So Benny grabs it and restrains her. Hendrix, who was just kind of standing there like, I got to do something. She gets on the phone and calls the ER to admit the siblings. Two EDPs, which means emotionally disturbed persons. Both of the kids are just screaming at their mom. Why didn't you protect him? I knew you were lying. Like that that was Lindsay. She's like, I knew you're fucking lying. And they both are just losing it on their parents. Mm -hmm. At the hospital, Benny walks into a meeting room where Lindsay's waiting. She tells her Stabler has a broken rib from that candlestick bullshit and assaulting a cop is kind of a big deal and goes on to tell her, we weren't there to hurt your brother. He was the victim of a crime. Twist, no, he wasn't, Lindsay says. I was. What? She was the one on the roof alone that night. Benny tells her that's impossible. We know it's your brother because of the XY chromosomes Corner Warner found. And then mm -hmm. I'm going, is Lindsay trans? Mm -hmm. That would be modern day Benny's first question, right? But at this point, it's, but that was boy DNA and you're wearing ballet flats and a cardigan. <laughs> so that's not you. I like how she was like, you got, you're got a pretty strong swing. I'm like, Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. If you're foreshadowing mm -hmm. and that's how you choose to foreshadow, you guys. Before Benny can tell Lindsay the reason that that's impossible, she doesn't say, oh, that was boy DNA. You know, she was just mm -hmm. like, um, no, that's impossible. It could not have been you. And before she can give the reason why, Lindsay tells her the whole story. She was mad that the writing crew won't let girls in. So she went to tag so they would let her join. She's like, I'm going to do a really fucking awesome tag and they're going to let me in. Mm -hmm. Especially in like a difficult spot too. He's like, they can't say no to yeah. this crazy spot. Yeah. yeah, she didn't get to finish her tag, which she wanted to look like her brother's. So like her signature was going to be just like her brother's, but end with an E instead of an O. So she'd be psyche, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of psycho. Benson asked Lindsay to tell her what happened because she's like, holy shit, this might be accurate. She was tagging and had just finished the K on Psyche when someone tugged on her leg and pulled her down. He almost punched her, but then saw she was a girl. And he said he, quote, had something better for her. Mm. He unzipped his pants and forced her into the position of being sexually assaulted. And she complied until she had an opportunity and bit him as hard as she could. Mm. He stumbled back and fell off the edge. She's crying really hard and is super mm. believable. Yeah. Benson asks if she's covering for her brother, but Lindsay insists that it happened to her. Benson tells her, oh, but it was Logan's DNA at the crime scene. Lindsay just goes, I need to talk to Logan. Please let me see my brother. 
So later, Stabler talks to Hendricks. He wants to know why Lindsay is taking the blame for Logan. Hendricks says it's because they're twins and they could be super enmeshed emotionally. And she talks about twin shit, how sometimes they have these cool, weird connections, like, yeah, like you know, us. a thousand miles away, like a twin could know right. the exact moment. Just, I love that weird, cool shit. And she says that they could be so intertwined that Lindsay might actually think that it happened to her. So Stabler goes in to talk to Logan in the interview room. Stabler asks him why he thinks Lindsay's taking the fall for him. And he's like, because she's my fucking sister and knows that you have the wrong person. She gave them details about what happened on the roof. Only Logan would know. And Logan is pissed and says, how can I tell her something that didn't happen? I can't tell her things that never happened. He's so frustrated. Stabler tells him that he knows that this is hard to talk about, but he needs to. And he's like, fuck this. I want to talk to my sister i'm not gonna say shit until i see her okay so then after hendrix thinks the twins should get to talk i mean they've already collaborated their story so what more could it hurt novak comes in benson and stabler update her on what's going on benson says it's obvious that this was self-defense novak says that he could be charged with murder and even if it is self-defense if logan used more force than necessary then it could be considered involuntary manslaughter can we also take note of the giant pink collar that Novak parasailed in on. I did not see it. Oh my God. Did I take a photo? The collar on her shirt is... Like as big as that nun from the 60s that would... Yes, I thought thought you would be on that shit so hard. I didn't see it. It was huge. And it got bigger every scene. By the end, it was a circus tent and everybody was under it. There's a guy juggling. There's a bunch of tiny penises juggling. (laughs) (laughs) okay hendrix tells novak that the medical files from the twins birth may need to be subpoenaed for the case they were both born at bellevue there are several red flags in the records but hendrix can't tell her what it is and then novak says you're asking me to get a subpoena on a fishing expedition i need specifics or i can't help you but hendrix can't tell her but she can tell novak what's not in the files entire chunks have been redacted she can't order the original files because she was taken off the case when the twins were admitted so she's already overstepping by viewing the records period hendrix wanted to know why they were seeing a particular therapist at the hospital novak is worried that hendrix has tainted the case hendrix lets her know that the twins are seeing a sex therapist novak's kind of like they're abnormally close and are desperate to see each other hendrix wants to see how they interact because maybe it's incest which i feel like is such a breach i know they're twins who everybody knows are closer than any other kind of sibling yeah the jump to incest was pretty yeah it's just pretty quick all right so the twins are brought into an interview room they are like oh my god and hug Lindsay apologizes to logan for dragging him into the case logan asks if they can talk alone benson says absolutely not and no dang whispering they sat on separate sides of the table. They start to speak in one of those cool made-up twin languages that I'm so jealous of. I tried to make a language with Nick and we only got a few words. They like straight up have yeah. a Klingon twin language. Stabler's like, I've heard of this. My twins had this when they were little. Gotta make sure everybody knows he's a dad. And I have twins. I have twins. This is still about me. <laughs> Novak and Hendrix watch on the camera. Dr. Blair comes in and is pissed that Hendrix is involved. The twins are his patients and he took her off the case. Hendrix is like, dude, I'm just watching. I'm just observing. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Novak kind of steps in between them. Uh, what are you seeing the twins for? Uh, obviously, he says it's private and goes into the interview room saying that they need him because on the camera, it shows them like kind of wrestling or something. Anyways, the camera shows Lindsay crying and Logan being taken out of the room by Dr. Blair. Novak wonders what the fuck is going on with his family. 
family and who else will know if the twins won't talk to them right. they gotta find somebody yeah cut to benny and staves doing a little walk and talk with the stanton's housekeeper she's not too keen on talking to them because she doesn't want to lose her job they ask her if the twins are overly affectionate not, not now that i'm reading this after i watch the end of it i'm like well she tells them that after they go to see the doctor, they go days without speaking to each other. They'll lock themselves in their rooms and won't look at each other at the dinner table. She also says that they've been through a bunch of nannies and they should go talk to them. Munch interviews the first nanny. She was with them for about six months. When asked why the twins would be seeing a therapist, she assumes it's because of all the fighting they did. They were super violent and it was usually Lindsay who would start it. Another nanny tells Stabler and Benson that there was so much tension in the house, but it was because of the mom. She would pick at Lindsay over her appearance everything, her hair, her makeup, her clothes, and would make her take pills that she called vitamins, but were prescribed by a doctor. The nanny doesn't know what it is, but one time she gave one of the vitamins to Logan and the mom like went ballistic. Another nanny tells Toots that Lindsay was always in and out of the hospital when she was a toddler with chronic bladder infections and she would get undressed and run around naked. She hated the dresses her mom would make her wear and tore them off. Then the nanny's like, also... I did notice that Lindsay had scars in her genital area. <sighs> so they had to go talk to the Stantons again. They're getting questioned about Lindsay by Benny and Staves at their house. Mr. Stanton says Lindsay had surgery for urinary reflux. So that's what the scars are from. Um, but that doesn't explain the external scars. Mm -hmm. And mom goes, what? My daughter doesn't have any scars. And Staves goes, right. And you're not slipping her birth control pills. Got it. Okay. Again, she's just, what? Why would I? She's 14 and not sexually active. Like, what the fuck? I'm very confused at this point because I did not remember this episode. Mr. Stanton jumps in with the answer. He says it's weight loss pills. Their daughter's really self-conscious about her appearance and they're just trying to help by quietly giving her ephedrine. I don't know, giving her weight <laughs> loss medication. Right. Benny brings up the sex therapist. What the fuck is this about? To which Stabler adds, you got to tell us if there's something sexual going on between these twins. Yeah. And their mom is appalled. She's like, fuck no, dude. What are you talking about? Stabler tells them, okay, fine. But if you knew the twins had sex and you allowed it to continue in your house, you'll be arrested. And Mr. Stanton's like, cool, get the fuck out of our house. <laughs> Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. Outside, Benny and Stabes are walking to the car like, dude, that was fucking crazy, right? They did not like that we said that. <laughs> the housekeeper runs up on them from across the street. She had overheard them talking to the Stantons and said they were wrong about the kids. A couple weeks ago, the mom had to be sedated because she was so upset at having seen Lindsay exchange a very passionate kiss with another girl. <sighs> okay. Precinct. And it's just fucking full camera on Cragen. Lindsay's a lesbian? All their heads fucking boing off their bodies and are bobbing around on springs. Because <laughs> springs. Because they can't fucking, whoa, gay. Toot says that the kiss can explain away the incest theory. That's not true, but that's right. It is to them. But Benson says it doesn't. The incest could be non-consensual shit being done to Lindsay. Hello? Mm -hmm. Munch adds absolutely nothing by saying, maybe it sent Lindsay to the other team. Duh. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Get in the walls. <laughs> Every time I'm like, yeah, Munch, you're fucking awesome. Let's just fucking fold you in. Fold, fold in the cheese. Fold in the Munch. Fold in the mouse. <laughs> just fold it in. He fucking goes and says some shit like this. Maybe it sent Lindsay to get... 
sex crimes. Hendrix shows up and she's like, dudes, it wasn't Logan on the roof. It was Lindsay. What? The twins were born. And six months later, Lindsay's birth certificate was reissued. Hendrix had what? no right to look at that, she said, but she pulled the record anyway. Lindsay was born genetically male, like not intersex, which is also totally fucked when they just pick one, you know, yeah. but she was, it was twin boys. Yeah. And they're like, what, what, what? I really reined myself in for the rest of the episode, mm -hmm. just wanting to go down fucking rabbit holes with you, just oh, holding mm -hmm. hands and shitting on fucking everything. Actual pooping on everything with you. Bitch, just wait till we get to this chaser, just covered in feces. It's insane. At the precinct, the Stantons are being questioned. They say that when the twins were born, there was a fucking freak accident where the device that does circumcision malfunctioned on Lindsay. The expert said that he would never be normal and quote unquote normal and would never be functioning. Lindsay couldn't get a prosthesis until puberty, but even then they felt it wasn't going to be okay for them. The Stantons wanted to save him humiliation, abuse, and sadness. And his dad was like, what about having to explain it to the first girl he fell in love with or the locker rooms? And so they gave him a sex change operation. Oh my fucking God. Dr. Blair convinced them that it was their only hope for Lindsay to live a normal life and promised them that it would work if they were committed to raising Lindsay as a girl. This fucking guy. Now Benny and Stapes are at the office of Blair. He makes a fucking bullshit comment about how any plastic surgeon will tell you, quote, it's easier to dig a hole than to build a pole. Jesus Gross. fucking Christ. Lindsay had to have three surgeries and had to start hormones when she hit puberty to develop hips and breasts and more, quote, feminine features. He keeps referring to this as an experiment, mm -hmm. which fucks me up. He says yeah. Lindsay has to be treated like a girl and look like a girl and be taught to act like a girl. Your experiment didn't work, dude. No, it did not. But Blair disagrees. Benson tells him that Lindsay is fucking miserable, but he says, what 14-year-old girl isn't? You fucking mm. twat. And then Staler, he gets real sassy and he's like, mister. I love when he does that. And people go, mister, you can't change someone's sexual identity. Blair argues that gender identity is nurture, not nature. And since Lindsay was physically made female and believes she's a female, his experiment should work. There's so much fuckery about this that I, I can't even dive into it. I'm not, it's, I can't no. not even diving into well, it. We will. We will, but we not will. right now. Anyway, so Blair's like, wait a second, how do you guys know about Lindsay? Stabler tells him that it's confidential and the info came to them whilst in the middle of a criminal investigation. So, so <laughs> we don't have to tell you. Blair wants to know if the charges against Logan will be dropped since Logan was discharged. Novak is going to have to question Lindsay. That's probably going to make Lindsay have some questions. So Blair says that it's imperative that Lindsay never find out that she was born a boy. And Stabler's like, um, you don't think this is going to come out now? Blair says he won't allow it and insists on being present when Novak speaks with Lindsay. So now we got Novak, Lindsay, and Blair. Lindsay tells Novak what happened on the roof. And then Novak decides it was self-defense and she's not going to press charges. 
Lindsay goes to sign the statement, but stops and then says, I don't understand. Blair tells her to just sign the statement and let's get everything behind her. But Lindsay wants to know why they thought Logan had to have done it. Dr. Blair says, it's very complicated. And, and then she cuts him off and yells, stop it. She wants to know why they were so sure Logan did it and says that she feels like she's going fucking crazy. Hendrix comes in and wants to talk to Blair and he tells her no and asks her to leave. But Lindsay knows Hendrix knows something. And then Hendrix tells Blair that he needs to tell Lindsay. Blair fucking is like, the only thing I need to do is report your ass to the medical review board. Shut up. Lindsay begs Hendrix to tell her what's going on. So fucking Hendrix just tells her. She's like, you were born a boy. Hendrix tells her about the accident when she was a baby. And then Lindsay says, I fucking, I knew I never felt right. I always felt like a fucking freak. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't anybody tell me? And Dr. Blair is telling Lindsay that they can't go backwards now and that she's a perfectly normal girl. He didn't tell her for her own good. And Lindsay's like, what's my fucking name? What was my name? Hendrix says it was Lucas. And then Blair tells Hendrix that she's fucking finished, which she is. (laughs) I mean, she is. But I'm also like, Oh, yeah. At the same time, you know? Yeah. Later, Benny and Stabes go to visit Hendrix. She's packing up her office. She tells him she's lost her privileges at the hospital and she's going to have a hearing for her license thanks to that weird-ass Nazi doctor. Mm -hmm. Stabler tells her she did the right thing and she goes, yeah, for a cop. I mean, yeah. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure for just a Cuban in this case, but single tomato, sangle tomato. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a single single tomato songle tomato oh dumb uh, single songle <laughs> hendrix tells them that lucas has decided to transition back to being male and she stumbles over using she her pronouns for the boy but then corrects herself mm-hmm. i feel like this is svu's first tiny teeny teeny little step in the right direction mm-hmm. regarding transness by the way yeah even though it had to have the veil of a biological experiment after a freak accident right i mean tiny steps one picnic ant taking one of their tiny steps forward <laughs> but then fucking stabler keeps stablering and keeps on with the she hers because he's fucking stabler but yeah we're not calling him Lindsay anymore we're calling him lucas any other time he's going to be referenced from now on because we know yep. and his pronouns are he him and his name is lucas but stabler's like she her Lindsay. well benny gets a phone call it's craigan he needs them to come to the precinct as they're leaving, Stabler tells Hendrix, take care, and gives her, we probably should have boned eyes. And then Benson gives her the little lip disappearing white people in passing smile, like, mm-hmm. as if to say, we're cool. Yeah. You did the right thing. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I do respect you a little bit. Mm. I'm not going to say it. I'm not even going to say bye or anything. Just You can tell by my face. So they got to go back to the precinct. Logan's in Craigan's office. He wants to file charges against Dr. Blair for molesting the twins for years. Mm. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. And Stabler really is great in this scene. He's really compassionate, has great bedside manner with Logan, sits across from him and is like, tell me what happened. Logan says that Blair used to show them pictures of adults having sex. He used to put the twins into positions and made them pretend they were having sex. So fucking let's question Blair. This room is black and his shirt is black. So when it first cut to the scene, he just looked like a floating head to me. (laughs) He claims that what Logan described was part of the treatment and that it was important for Lindsay to learn gender roles. Logan had to be there as the experimental control. 
Why? It was perfect because of the twins thing. It's fucking stupid. Because it's like they're being raised in the same environment. They were both born boys. One is being raised as a boy and the other with the exact same genetic makeup is being raised as a girl. This is how I prove my theory. He calls the twins living proof that nurture, not nature, determines sexuality. That's so insane. So Benson's like, what does making them have sex proof. Blair argues that there was no penetration and that it's normal for young people to explore each other's bodies. And I'm like, well, not siblings and not in a clinical setting. And no wonder why that lady was like, after they see the doctor, they lock themselves away and don't look at each other for days. Yeah, all of it made sense now. Yeah. And he says the sexual images, the nude images of the adults that they were being shown were from art books. And Stabler tells Blair even he was made uncomfortable by the art in Blair's office. So this guy's British, by the way. This fucking Blair's British. So he's like, that's because you're a bourgeois American completely uptight about sex. It's what screws up your children and turns them into sex offenders. I I didn't say that with a British accent. I said it like Stewie from Family Guy. (laughs) Turns them into sex offenders. <laughs> Fat man. <laughs> Stabler, who is cradling his floating head, just stares at Dr. Blair and long pause. You lost me at bourgeois. And right. it was funny and he's dumb. The only thing that I agree with Blair about is that, yes, we are uptight about sex. And yes, like he was like, we, you know, we should talk about sex with our kids and our bodies and how natural it is. And I'm like, yeah, that yes. makes sense. But what? For sure. Like the other stuff? What? Yeah. But that's the thing is you're taking something that has rationale to it and spinning it to like a twisted place, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're already gaslighting a boy into being like, oh, no, you're not a boy. Mm hmm. So Benson asks Blair if he's denying the allegations made by Logan. He's like, you're really justifying a lot of this shit. So you're denying these allegations about what happens in your practice. And Blair says, denying them. I'm writing a book about them. What the fuck, dude? I know. Anywho, back at the precinct, Sister Peg comes in. Benson gives her a check for $6,000. Because remember, somebody, a girl was murdered. Yeah. Uh, It's from the crime victim boards. Uh, Peg's going to use this money to bury Katie. You remember her? She was the hearing impaired woman that got murdered and wasn't even the person that did it. Novak comes in. Blair made bail after sitting in jail for three days due to a, quote, clerical error caused by one of Novak's friends. You know, when they use the system to... But, like, it's a TV show, so we're like, fuck yeah, you broke the rules. We like it. It's like, is she friends with Kathy's cousin? (laughs) Right. Peg asks if there's a trial date for Katie's killer, and then Novak tells her yes, and that they will need to go over her testimony. Peg has been receiving threats, and it is the only one that can identify the killer, so I hope they protect her. God damn it. Mm, I hope they do. Stabler gets a call. Blair has been fucking murdered. Blair's house, crime scene. Corner Warner is already on the scene. She tells Benny and Stabes that his head was bashed in and the weapon was left. The killer spit on him. Traces of dried saliva were found. The security camera from the hallway caught the killer. It's a person and they had a hood up. It was a parka. They can't see their face, but it could be either Lindsay or Logan. In the precinct, Novak wants to know which of the twins killed Blair. And also that they let her know that Lindsay goes by Luke now. They both say that they went to a double feature together during the time of the murder. They even have ticket stubs to prove it. And Usher noticed the twins in matching parkas and that one 
twin left during the movie, but he had no idea which one because they're fucking identical twins. DNA from the case is going to match both of them since Luke stopped taking the hormones five days ago, which coincidentally is the perfect amount of time for it to be out of his system. There won't be a marker in the saliva to distinguish if it was him or Logan. They made the perfect crime. Benson wonders if they can charge both twins, and Novak says it's not possible because them each having the exact same DNA will cause reasonable doubt. <laughs> yep. So they need to get one of them to flip. Stabler's like, that's not going to happen. They're too close. Then the yep. twins are shown leaning on two sides of the same wall. They're wearing the exact same thing, but you can only tell the difference because one of them has their hair spiked now. Yeah. That's it. Toyota. Great episode. Fucking Toyota. It yeah. was a really good episode. Yeah. I don't even want to say it was a good episode because... I mean, it was just like... I'm going to tell you a story here. Okay. All right. This fucking episode seems so wild and so far-fetched. And mm -hmm. there's no way it could be real in real life unless this was completely true, which it is. Janet and Ron Raymer became parents when Janet gave birth to identical twin boys on August 22nd, 1965 in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. The oldest was named Bruce and the younger twin was Brian. When they were six months old, the boys were diagnosed with phimosis. It's just a condition where the foreskin can't be pulled back on the penis. There's trouble urinating. It usually either resolves itself or isn't a big problem, but they were referred for circumcision. The doctor used electrocauterization for the procedure. Usually they would just use a scalpel, but this doctor decided to use something different. <sighs> Things didn't go smoothly and Bruce's penis was basically burned off. An extremely sad side note is that they decided then to not operate on Brian or continue with the operation on Brian, whose phimosis resolved on its own. This <sighs> probably wasn't even necessary at all. Oh my God. The Raymers were devastated and wanted their son to just have an opportunity at a normal life. A psychiatrist at the time told them that Bruce would be, quote, unable to consummate marriage or have normal heterosexual relations. He will have to recognize that he is incomplete, physically defective, and that he must live apart. Jesus. So this is the 60s, right? Things have changed you know obviously but like what a fucked thing to hear as parents be like how can we normalize whatever's going on here how do we make our kid have the most normal life ever and they're like oh you can't you're fucked everything's yeah. fucked this kid's life is fucked so they went to specialists experts anyone they thought could give them a shred of hope for their son but the answer was always there's nothing we can do Mm. Then, in December of 1966, the Raymers saw Dr. John Money interviewed on a Canadian news show. He was a psychologist who was known for his studies in the field of sexual development and gender identity and was considered the leading expert on gender disorders in the U.S. He strongly believed in the theory of gender neutrality, that gender identity is learned from our social surroundings, and was pioneering the optimum gender-rearing model in his work with intersex patients. He actually coined the term gender identity and gave language to explain and understand the internal experience of sexuality. He was the one who was like, just because someone has female genitalia or male genitalia, it, that doesn't determine if they're male or female. Mm -hmm. Okay. He also coined the term gender role to explain the societal expectations of how men and women behave and interact. This whole hmm. thing is actually, again, so sad because he was one of the first to support the reality of the trans experience and support gender affirming surgeries. Mm -hmm. But the twist that made 
what he was doing different was so damaging that he basically became a fucking mad scientist. It's like you were so close. So close, but like the amount of damage. Yeah. Because there is stuff that now with trans rights, trans research, the advancement of all of these different things, he brought a lot of this stuff forward, right? Mm -hmm. Like the godfather of the research of it? Yeah. I mean, he's the one who brought it into the light, into like, hey, modern day science, this is something that needs to be addressed. Our old beliefs are not correct. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't get brought up as like, oh my God, this guy is amazing. And this is what he's done for the trans movement because of this fucking story. Okay. Yeah. So Bruce's parents saw this. Bruce and Brian's folks saw this and they're like, holy shit, we need to go talk to this guy. Mm -hmm. He might be able to help us. The Ramers took Bruce to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland to meet with the doctor. He's like, yeah, dude, I can help him. Bruce will be happiest and most fulfilled living as a female. And Ron and Janet were super young. They were raised in farm communities. They didn't have a ton of life experience. Like they were barely not teenagers anymore, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, who has experience with this in particular? Yeah. So the doctor is like, dude, this is this is what we have to do. Okay. He really, really pushed him and they were super hesitant. But another thing that got him pushing even harder was one of his other beliefs, which was that there's this gender identity gate. Okay. And it closes at two years old. So his belief was all babies, regardless of physical sex were gender neutral until two years old that's when shit gets locked in so if you're okay. raising oh you know what i think that blair guy said that that babies are born gender gender neutral okay. i think he said that yeah. in the episode if, yeah. if you raise a kid and society believes a kid is a boy and we do that based on their physical presentation then at two years old is when their brain goes yep i'm a boy this is what this guy believed okay Mm -hmm. so bruce is 22 months old they were just like we have to we have to trust this doctor because Mm -hmm. he's a leading expert he knows what he's talking about this feels not right but we have to yeah so they agreed And they allowed the surgery. Bruce was 22 months old when surgery was performed in which they removed his testes and constructed a basic vulva. They didn't have, there was no working vagina or anything. Um, They're like, we'll do that later. We're just going to get the outward presentation to pass. They changed his name to Brenda and would from then on raise him as a stereotypical girl. The doctor also wanted to continue with the family, giving them psychological support. He was like, OMG, this is perfect. Perfect for my experiment. Right off the bat, the ethics are fucked because not only does he believe all of this stuff, but these are the perfect conditions for his experiment. He could have never done this before. There's a control, Brian, the twin brother. They share DNA. They shared their environment, their social development, the everything about how they were being raised was exactly the same, except for yeah. Bruce is going to be raised as a girl. This was also the first time that this was being tried with a male born infant with no other factors other than his injury. Again, I'm talking about the the pick one on the intersex spectrum. So they weren't anywhere else on the spectrum as far as they were aware physically. Okay. Mm-hmm. Money called this the John Joan case and track the twins' development, reporting this, quote, success that was being had with Bruce being raised as Brenda. Spoiler alert, only because I refuse to call this person Brenda. After he found out and began living as a male, he changed his name to David. So from now on, I will be calling Bruce David. Okay. Okay. As early as two years old. So 
basically immediately after surgery, very short into this sick experiment, David was refusing to wear the dresses that his parents put him in. He was picked on by peers for his masculine traits, the way he walked, the things he enjoyed. Kids at school called him cavewoman. He told his parents that he felt like a boy. He told his teachers he felt like a boy, all of whom were just like, well, you're a little girl going through a phase, honey. Dr. Money was adamant that keeping the truth from David was the most important aspect of his therapy. Mm -hmm. And nobody outside the immediate family knew anyway. His twin brother, Brian, didn't even know. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad, the doctor, I don't know if any random other person knew. But this secret keeping and what was happening with David as he grew and developed eventually led to his mother's suicide attempt and his mm -hmm. father's alcoholism. I mean, it destroyed this family. Part of Money's therapy for David was, I'm not kidding, exactly what they talked about in the episode. I mean, this was, they just went down the line of the shit that happened to these twin boys. Mm. Money believed that gender identity was partially formed by reproductive behavior and existed in all primates. So they would go to Boston once a year to visit this doctor and to get these therapies, okay? okay? He called this one thing in particular childhood sexual rehearsal play and believed it was crucial for healthy adult gender identity. Beginning at six years old, Money would have the twins do exactly that. He would put them in sexual positions, Brian in the male position, and David in the female position and have them act it out. Brian had recalled photos being taken at least one time during these sessions. The doctor would also have them look at nude photos of children, of adults having sex. He was also very demanding of the children. And when they would hesitate to do what he instructed, he would scream at them. David later recalled the occasion when Money had instructed the twins to inspect each other's genitals and said this, quote, he told me to take my clothes off and I just didn't do it. I just stood there and he screamed now louder than that. Yeah. I thought he was going to give me a whooping. So I took my clothes off and stood there shaking. David was also being given estrogen. So he started growing breasts as he developed. So these kids, they're like, this is fucked up. We don't want to see this doctor. Fucked up shit is happening. And the parents were like, this is therapy. I mean, they're just being told this is what it is, you know? Yeah. And they didn't know the doctor was like screaming at these kids and whatever. He was very mild mannered, even tempered when the parents were around. And it also wasn't like he was one on one with the kids all the time. I mean, he would be doing these sorts of things and having student doctors like fucking residents and shit there. There would be like six fucking residents sitting in there watching this shit. Lame. Yeah. Hated it. Obviously, all of this experience led to David becoming severely depressed. By 13, he was just yeah. at the end of his rope. He told his parents that he would take his own life if they took him to see Dr. Money again. And this whole time, the Raymers were being told by Dr. Money that David was behaving like a normal, active little girl and all of the shit their kids were going through were normal kid things. These are first-time parents. They're yeah. trusting this doctor, you know? What a piece of shit. Yeah. So they stopped going to see Dr. Money because they're like, this isn't good. We can see this not... It wasn't working. Yeah. They were starting to trust their gut a little bit. And they were like, ah, yeah. well, we're not going to bring him back to see you because he let us know what would happen if we did bring him back to see you. Yeah. So then a little more time went on. Not much. This was all in the course of like a handful of months, right? They stopped going to the doctor. They were like, we're going to let you be who you are. You don't want to wear fucking dresses and do all this fucking feminine shit that we're pushing on you. You're really depressed. Like we want you to be happy, whatever. They're also consulting with other doctors, other doctors local to them. They talked to David's endocrinologist and his psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. That was Canadian local who both recommended that 
they tell David the truth. They're like, this is kind of fucked and you should probably tell him what's going on. Mm-hmm. So on March 14th, 1980, they were like, hey, you were born a boy. This is your story. And later David recalled how he felt that day when he found out the truth. He said, quote, suddenly it all made sense why I felt the way I did. I wasn't some sort of weirdo. I wasn't crazy. I mean, it's just it's it is beginning to end yeah. like you're just living your whole life just fully gaslit. Yeah. David immediately did everything to regain his male identity. I mean, outwardly, they were putting him in frilly dresses and calling him fucking Brenda. So, I mean, within a couple of years, he had changed his name to David. He was using he, him pronouns um, and would undergo treatments and surgeries to reverse what had been done to him. I mean, estrogen had mm-hmm. given him a body that he did not feel comfortable in. Right. So he was doing what he needed to feel comfortable in his body. The psychological damage, though, had been devastating. I can't even fucking... No. David attempted suicide twice in his early 20s, Mm -hmm. and he eventually met Jane Fontaine. They married in 1990. David adopted Jane's three kids. He felt like he was living as much of a normal life as he could. Mm -hmm. After all of this stuff, right, before, I mean, when David was still a teenager, Dr. Money put out his findings, which were very fucking skewed. He had reported a successful transition. His theories had been confirmed. He's reporting the success of this, quote, proving that gender is able to be manipulated outwardly from one's environment. Yeah. And for 30 years, that was the standard in the field. Mm -hmm. It opened up so much other shit. This is the case. I mean, they thought they had solved the nature-nurture argument and it's nurture Mm -hmm. oh there's a child born intersex or a child born with both sets of genitalia it's not hard you just pick you just pick because if you raise them as that gender then that's their gender right this is the proof david's case was completely anonymous the john joan case but in 1997 when david found out his case had been used in that way in the medical community this is the standard this is how we view this Mm -hmm. and He needed to give his account to make sure people knew the true outcome. It was not a successful transition. I kind of remember him telling his story on the TV, like being interviewed and stuff. Yeah. First, there was like a report done to dispute Dr. Money's findings from another doctor. I didn't go into all of this, but there was another doctor who was basically Dr. Money's rival and was like, oh, my God. Yeah, these aren't the true findings. And I'm going to expose this, wrote this paper. And then someone from Rolling Stone wrote an article, which actually like won awards for David's participation in this just exposing this fucked up thing that happened to him yeah so David went public blew the shit up but plenty of damage was already done obviously to David and his family but also to the understanding of gender as a whole Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of ripple effects to it Oh, yeah. Thankfully, because of David and the reports done on his experience, the practice that had become the standard of, yeah, this is no big deal, stopped immediately. That was not commonplace anymore. That was not something that was rooted in science. Yeah. In addition to David having a really extremely difficult relationship with his parents who were victimized as well, Brian, David's twin brother, passed away on July 1st, 2002 after overdosing on antidepressant medication. Uh, Brian Mm -hmm. also struggled immensely because remember, he was also abused in this. And on May 4th, 2004, two years after his brother died, two days after his wife asked for a separation, Mm 38-year-old David ended his own life. Mm. Dr. Money died from complications of Parkinson's disease in 2006. He was 84, but he never spoke about it publicly after after all of this shit came out. But colleagues of his had said that he was 
appalled and devastated by what had happened, what David's true experience had been, Mm -hmm. because his opinion, he did not think that he was causing harm. He's like, I am helping this person so much. But that is also like, how much of that were you convincing yourself of because you wanted so badly to be correct in your theories? I mean, I suspect this kind of shit happens a lot. It's also like you thought that this was okay, And you're like, oh, successful findings or whatever. And David's like, dude, I was screaming this whole time that it wasn't. I never Mm -hmm. once was like, I'm just a little girl doing little girl things. Like he never took to, if we're talking about just the surface of what we consider masculine and feminine, never took to anything feminine at all and was Mm -hmm. really confused and it wasn't even close. So the fact that the doctor was like, oh yeah, this was going great was not true. Yeah, but why would they listen to a kid? You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then when it's a 13 year old kid being like, I'm going to kill myself if you make me fucking go there, then it's like, oh, 13. And then you straight up have this kid going, I feel like a boy. Can you imagine being the parents being like, I don't know. That's weird that you feel like that. No, I can't. Absolutely bizarre. Just awful. This The whole thing just destroyed this whole family. Yeah, I, I knew I knew about that person. I just didn't know much about the details. That was a good chaser. I mean, it sucked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I didn't know about the story. I mean, maybe it was in the recesses of my mind, but like I was like watching the episode. I'm going, okay, what am I going to do? The Menendez brothers, because they, you know, when they killed their parents, like rich kids, killed their parents, were being abused, uh, had each other's backs, da, da, da. And then I just looked up the synopsis of the rest of it. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. So. Wild. So February 6th, uh, we got season six, episode 13, Quarry. The body of a young boy is found and he may be the victim of a pedophile who's about to be executed. They're like trying to get it all figured out before the guy dies. Well, thanks so much for listening. Please rate and review us. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. If you want to send us anything, we have a little P.O. Box. P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Follow us on all social media, Instagram, TikTok. Everywhere we are, it's at svupod. Get pod merch and more at svupod.com. We've got a link to our tea Public on there. You can just go to tea Public. We got all kinds of shit. All the designs that you see can be made in, on mugs or pins or whatever. So scroll down and look through that stuff if you want. You don't have to just get t-shirts. You can have that shit on oh, yeah, there's, a fucking pillow. <laughs> there's all kinds of options. You want to decorate your entire bedroom with our stupid faces? Do it. <laughs> And then take a picture and send it to us because that'd be fucking hilarious. Oh my God, please. <laughs> we should have sheets made of our little cartoons, <laughs> like the Star Wars, just all over it. For, just for ourselves. We wouldn't. I wouldn't want to put anybody else through that. But. Oh my God, what if we did it with like us and like a tomato? A cock ring. Two dicks docking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else do we like? A really full to the brim glass of orange juice. A couple of half beers. A Toyota. Yeah. It's a toy Yoda though. <laughs> okay, keep going. I hated that. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, we're just spitballing. No idea is a bad idea. And you're like, toy Yoda. And I'm like, no, we're not friends. You're like, boo. <laughs> Join the Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. We've got a Facebook group chat, walk and talk. There's a Facebook group called Single Tomato that listeners just made. They meet every month to talk about a book that they're reading. It's fucking awesome. Hashtag mm-hmm. little bit loud for indie pods. If you are an indie pod, use the hashtag so people can find you. And there's some really cool ones that consistently use it. And I recommend you check them out. Join our Patreon. If there's ever a week that you're like, I need more. 
There's so much more. It's gross. It's disgusting yeah, it's over gross. there. It's gross. There's a lot of shit. Also, you know about some of some some real personal things on there. God, there's damn it. a lot that gets shared on there. <laughs> like if we start talking and we're like, God, that's fucked up. And then we're like, Oh fuck, I forgot we were recording because we're just talking to each other. Yeah, we'll leave it in the Patreon. So yeah, if, I shouldn't even say that too much because like I know we. Ble- hey, if you're somebody that we don't <laughs> want uh, to hear the shit, it's you could join the Patreon and hear it because we might be talking shit. I know now that <laughs> now that my aunt joined it now i'm like sorry aunt sarah <laughs> i know which i don't want to i'm like if it was balls deep in this dude sorry aunt sarah and then <laughs> she doesn't care she probably thinks it's funny okay i'm like 400 years old she doesn't care right i know that's... do you answer aunt sarah do you care do you care aunt sarah also just tell me and if you do i'm not gonna tell gabe uh <laughs> call or text us and leave us your questions stories comments we love to read them we love to interact with you on there we might read your stories read your messages on the patreon because that's where we share all that extra shit if you want us to with your consent if you want of us course. to obviously with your consent yeah. you can be anonymous you can whatever we're not out here fucking doxing people that would be a great <laughs> strategy for the listenership <laughs> Don't trust us. <laughs> if you want any advice too, like bad advice, give us a question. We'll we'll, we'll figure it out yeah, together. We can terrible advice. Yeah, call 1-920-345-70005. That's 1-920-345-7005. Thanks so much. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. The detectives also noticed that she brought up the gang unprovoked. 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 La la la. What do you own a fucking 101 penis Dalmatians? Oh la la. Unprovoked. <laughs> Ooh, garage. Ooh la di da, Mr. Frenchman. Claudia Hernandez. Ooh la la. So they're like. Garage, Mr. Frenchman. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? It's from The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Garage. Ooh la dee da, Mr. Frenchman. What do you call it? A car hold. <laughs> Katie tells him that she didn't sleep on the island of her roof. I'm not doing it. I don't want to. Katie tells him I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Mr. San... Mr. Sandman. Bring me a dream. Give him sweet lips like roses and clovers. And tell him that this lonesome night sorrow over. Sandman. Yes. Maybe. Yes. I'm all alone. And to our Elite Squad patrons Nikki M., Marissa M., Rebecca D., Elkie H., Trisha S, Emily T, Katerina G, Mary D, Joshua H, Lamb, Sonia W, Eliza W, Nikki B, Kaylin B, Melanie G, Andrew, Miranda B, Lauren T, Katie A, Kate H, Vanessa, Lex, Shelby W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Courtney W, Ursula, Catherine M, Kate T. <laughs> I was gonna try to do a Ursula like, but then I I can't I couldn't think of how she even sounded. Uh, I just keep thinking the Pumpkin King, but I know that's a totally different like. <laughs> it's not even uh, Ursula. What does she say? The body language. Remember? Yeah, I do. Okay, sorry. I'm gonna keep going. Remember? Leave that all out. <laughs> yeah. I um, Catherine M. No, you won't. Kate P. Jessica S. Danielle W, Jenna M, Tammy J, Blair, <laughs> Crystal, Lucy M, Sam D, Nisha G, Nada M, Mac, Mac, Meg M, Casey, Abby W, Alexis J, Caitlin S, 
Christina D, Camille Z, Maggie D, San, Jessica P, Zana J, Madison H, Emily. Oh, I come from a land, a faraway place where the caravan camels roam. Oh, the threat is immense and the heat is intense. That's a terrible. There is some racism. I know. I in just, that fucking movie, dude. In that song too. I just re- I was just reading about it. Oh, I it. know. I know. But you said Disney thing, and I was like, that's okay. all I had. Victoria, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree R, Lexi Y, Drewby, Drewby, uh, Monica K, Katie S. Sorry. <laughs> Shut up. You're like, you're like, take off in five, four, three, two, one. Uh, lift off. Okay. Uh, where are we now? Brenna T, Andrea M, Tosh, Jenna, Al H, Andrea H, Nikki R. Uh, oh my God, as I live and breathe, is that Aunt Sarah? <laughs> Aunt Sarah over there? <laughs> we'll all be dipped. Emily D, Katie H, Vern, Catherine B, Ariana Grande, Madeline K, and Mallory J. <laughs> Madeline K, and Mallory J. I can't. Thanks so much. We love our patrons. You guys are awesome. There's no way we would keep we would still be doing this. There, there yeah. isn't. There is really isn't. Like there's no way. It's so much. It's so much. Is, is everything. Everything. Yeah, literally. Thank you, you guys. You know what? Thanks. Thanks, y'all. Hey. Hey. Thanks. Who'd have thought? Look me in the eye. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> <laughs> National treasure, that man. Ugh. <laughs>